in last Sunday's gospel lesson, from the 20th chapter of John, we heard the account of Jesus as he appeared to his disciples for a second time following his resurrection. The time when Thomas was with the others, and Jesus stood before Thomas and said, Reach out your fingers, see my hand, see my side, be unbelieving no longer. And then chapter 20 of John's gospel ended with these words. There are many other signs that Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. These were written here, have been recorded in order that you may hold to the faith of Jesus of the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this faith you may possess life by his name. Now we might assume when we read these verses that this is where John intended to end his gospel. It certainly sounds like it ended. We might well assume that this was the original ending, and there's a number of biblical scholars that would agree with that. And then we get here this morning and discover there's, there's another chapter. There's a chapter 21. And some of those same biblical scholars believe that, that this last chapter may have been added by John at some later time, and I suspect that's possible. The last two verses of the 20th chapter sum up what it is that all the gospel writers were attempting to say. It, it's clear that the gospels were never meant to give us a full account of Jesus' life. They weren't a dowry. They, they didn't attempt to chronicle Jesus' life on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't give us a, an exhaustive account of everything that Jesus did or said. What the gospel writers did was to give their readers a selection of events and sayings that showed to Jesus what he was like, what he said, and the kind of things that he did. The gospels were never meant to be biographies of Jesus' life, but they were meant to give us information but even more so, they were meant to give us life. The Gospels were written in order that the reader might see a picture of Jesus as one who would speak and teach and act and heal as only one who was the Son of God could do. But we may also conclude that John had some very specific reasons for adding chapter 21 to the end of his Gospel. And that might explain why this final chapter seems to have been tacked on after the fact. We know from studying John's writing that quite often he has two meanings in his writings. There's the obvious reason that's on the surface that if we dig a little deeper, we find a hidden meaning that lies beneath the surface. I believe this may be one of those times. So let's just take a few moments this morning and look at this final chapter and attempt to determine what it was that John wanted us to learn today. Those of you that like to fish know that the best time to fish may be at night. And that was just as true in the New Testament times as it is for us today. Men would go out in their boat with their blazing torches that would cast a beautiful reflection out over the water surface. And then when, when they'd see the signs of the fish that were attracted to the light, they'd throw their nets out over the water and they'd haul in their catch. And this is the setting for this morning's gospel lesson with one exception. The men had been out all night and they hadn't caught a thing. Then they are done that. <laughs> While various writers and scholars knew what happened differently, I, I don't believe that what happened necessarily needs to be seen as a miracle. I believe that maybe Jesus, who was standing on the shore watching his friends return from the night of unsuccessful fishing, was able to see something from the shore that, that these tired men in the boat hadn't seen. Hadn't seen in the light of the dawn. 
Maybe he saw that signs of, of a school official the servants of the water. He could do that. He, he yelled at the men to cast their net over on the other side of the boat because they were heading ashore. The gospel lesson tells us that they, they didn't recognize Jesus at the moment. It may have been that they simply were just too far away or the, the rising sun was at his back. Or maybe it was just another one of those experiences that we have that people didn't recognize Jesus immediately after his resurrection. But they did what the men on the shore instructed them to do. Well, you don't rest the story. The catch was so great that they couldn't even haul it all in by themselves. I don't know if that was a miracle or not, but I do believe that Jesus never did anything in a small way, even catching fish. He saw the signs of the fish, and he yelled out to help his friends, and that's what friends do. Our listening goes on to tell us that shortly after this, John thought he recognized Jesus, and he told Peter, and well, what did Peter do? He jumped in the water and started for shore, leaving the rest of them in the boat to, to fend for himself. Isn't that exactly what we'd expect Peter to do? He never did anything in a small way either. Here I believe we get the, the first reason why we have this final chapter added to John's Gospel. While there are 12 different occasions recorded in the scripture of Jesus appearing to various people following his resurrection, <clears throat> there were still many people that, that saw these appearances of the risen Christ as nothing more than the visions of Jesus' followers. Remember, the Gospels were written several years after the fact, and uh, during that time, many people had reacted to the resurrection story in different ways. And I believe that John is speaking to those people with this additional account of Jesus' appearance. Many people would admit to the reality of the visions, the, the disciples would believe what they saw. But others insisted that they were visions just the same. Some would say they weren't visions, they were hallucinations. And others suggested that Jesus' followers had just seen some kind of spirit. John said here that this, this is no vision. There's no hallucinations, there's no spirit. This is Jesus and he's alive. He's truly risen from the dead. I mean, would a spirit point out a school of fish to some tired fishermen? Could a hallucination build a fire on the seashore? Could a vision cook a meal for his friends? I don't, I don't think so. And I believe that's one of the reasons why we have this account according to John's Gospel. John wanted his readers to hear this account of Jesus in the early morning on the seashore. The first and, and, and simplest aim of the Gospel writer is to make the reality of the resurrection quite clear to anyone who reads it. The risen Lord was not a vision, nor a figment of someone's imagination, nor a ghost. It was Jesus who had conquered death and returned to life. John's underlying reason for including this event could be a little more symbolic, though. And again, scholars vary on their interpretation and take on John's intent. John knows the exact number of the fish that were caught this morning. Now, I'm not quite sure why he might have included that, except it was a rather large number. They may have counted the fish in order that they could divide them up among the fishermen. That hardly seems noteworthy, does it? Some scholars have suggested that the numbers were symbolic. The number 100 represents fullness, the seeds, the full fertility of the seeds, a hundredfold. 100 might represent the fullness of, of the Gentiles that would be gathered in by Christ. 50 might represent the remnants of Israel that would be gathered in. The three might stand for the Trinity. I mean, that's a little complex for me. 
Augustine had an example that, that took into consideration the number of the, the Ten Commandments, the number of the spiritual gifts that are included in, in Corinthians, and they juggle those around to signify uh, those that would be saved through the law and, and God's grace. And again, I don't know, that got a little bit hard to understand as well. The simplest explanation that I found was Drone, a fourth century biblical scholar. Since I kind of like simple, I like Jones to the best. He said the Sea of Galilee held 153 different kinds of fish. And that John was suggesting that this catch symbolized the fact that one day all men of all nations would be gathered together in Christ. And he points out that the fish were gathered into a single net that was not broken. And he suggests the net symbolizes the church. Where there would be room for all men and all women of all nations. This may be what John was, was telling us this morning in his subtle way. The church is meant to be universal. In the church, there's no place for exclusivity or selectiveness. The church is meant to be universal as God's love is. And I believe that this message may be one of the reasons that we have John's 21st chapter. But to learn the other reason, I believe we have to look at the last five verses of today's reading. But I believe that may help us to understand the meaning of the previous verses that we've heard. The men had come ashore and eaten breakfast with Jesus. They were still sitting around the fire. And Jesus asked Peter a question. Jesus said, Simon, do you love me more than these? And Peter answered, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus responded, the words, feed my lambs. Then he would call Jesus and ask him again, Simon, do you truly love me? And again, Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. That wasn't the end of the exchange, was it? The third time Jesus looked Peter right in the eye. He said, Simon, do you love me? And the scripture tells us that Simon was hurt that Jesus asked the third time. He replied, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And that's the last time that Jesus said, be my sheep. But what was that all about? Why is this important? Why is it so important that John would tack on another chapter to a finished gospel? What was it that John wanted us to understand? What was it Jesus said? Simon, do you love me more than these? What was he referring to? Think about it. Jesus may have waved his arms around the surroundings, the boat, the nets, um, the equipment, the huge catch of fish, all those things that have been a part of Peter's life. And then said, Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? Are you prepared to give up all of this, to abandon a hope of a successful career as a fisherman? To give up a steady job and a reasonable comfort in order to give yourself over to my people and my work. Jesus was about to return to his heavenly father and he didn't know. Would Peter simply return to his old ways and again couldn't <coughs> Jesus was gone? And Jesus said, Simon, do you be true? Jesus may have looked at the rest of the group of disciples that were there when he asked that question. Maybe he was asking Peter, do you love me more than your fellow disciples do? Jesus and Peter at that moment might have been remembering that evening when Peter said, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm always there for you, Jesus. That was just before that same night when he went out and denied Jesus three times. This time Peter wasn't so boastful about his affection. He might have been that night. It seemed so long ago. He simply said, what do you do? And Jesus asked the question a third time. Maybe this was because of the three times that Peter had denied Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus gave Peter three chances to affirm his love again and his gracious forgiveness that he received. Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to wipe out the memory of that threefold denial by a threefold dedication of his love to his master. And what was it that Peter's love brought him? Brought him a task. Jesus said, if you love me, then give your life to shepherd the sheep and the lambs of my flock. Brought Peter across. Jesus said, when you're young, you, you can choose where you want to go. The day's going to come when they're going to stretch your arms out on a cross. And you're going to be taken away. You don't have no choice. And that day did come in Rome when Peter was nailed upside down on a cross and killed for his faith. Love is the greatest privilege in the world, but it brings with it the greatest responsibility. We can prove that we love Jesus only by obeying his commandments and by loving one another. Love not only brings responsibility, but it also brings sacrifice. We do not truly love Christ until we're prepared to face the task that he sets for us and take up our cross daily. Bishop Stanton's message to the daughter of the king a few years ago when they were meeting at St. James. <coughs> I remember he, he reminded us of the words of St. Francis, who told the people that God often calls us to do the most difficult task. He calls us all the time to do those things that we've never wanted to do because we were afraid that we were ill-equipped or maybe just unwilling to make the sacrifice. <coughs> You know what it's like to be called to serve Christ in, in ways that you may, may never have imagined. But you've also come to experience the joy that comes from saying yes when God called you. In Luke's account of Easter morning and the resurrection, he describes the women who came and found the empty tomb. Luke tells us that, that the angels appeared to him and said, Why are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. He's risen. Then Luke writes that the next thing the angel said was, Now go and tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was singled out by name. The angel seemed to want Peter to know that he'd been forgiven, that he'd been given a second chance. Here in John's 21st chapter, I believe that, that he's showing us that the man who had denied Jesus three times would later become the great shepherd of God's people. Not for anything that Peter had done, but because that's the task that God had called him to do. There'd be some who would say that, that Paul was the great one because he was the one that carried the gospel to the Gentile world. He preached to the thousands in his missionary travels. But I think this morning that John said, no, don't forget about Peter. He might not have written the way that John did. He may not have traveled and ventured far like Paul did. But he had accepted the loving task of being a shepherd of Jesus' sheep. And he put all his desires and his needs behind him and accepted the challenge that God placed before him. And this is where we're challenged to follow in Peter's steps. We may not be able to think like John. We may not be able to go to the ends of the world as Paul did. But you and I can help someone else from going astray. You and I can help feed God's lambs with the food of God's word. You and I can be a witness to God's grace and mercies experienced in our lives. And in doing that, we too can be feeding God's lambs. In this last chapter, John sets before us some great truths. He reminds us once again of the reality of the resurrection. He reminds us of the universality of the church. 
He reminds us that the leaders of the New Testament church were never meant to be competitors for greatness. And he reminds us that Peter was the great shepherd and John was the great witness. Then John writes his final ending to the 21st chapter with these words. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them had been written down, I, I suppose that the whole world couldn't have contained all the books that might have been written. The final verse in chapter 21 truly expresses the wonder of our Lord. Human categories are powerless to fully describe Jesus. Human books are inadequate to tell his story. And human limits prevent us from fully understanding the grace. Jesus asked each one of us this morning, do you love me?